The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Remember the old Price is Right show when the host, Bob Barker, who actually is a vegan and animal rights activist, would go down and say, what's behind door number two? Well, I don't know what's behind door number two, but I know what's behind the door marked vegan. And it's lots and lots of amazing things that we don't expect to find. I mean, of course, animal liberation is there. Excellent nutrition, disease prevention, the best answer we've got to reversing the climate crisis, and superb cuisine. But, you know, there's more. We've covered some of these issues on our show in the past. There's unraveling the intersectionality of oppression. There's looking into religion and spirituality. There's dating and raising a family. And today, we're going to look behind that door at two vegan delights that probably don't get the attention they deserve. After the break, we'll be speaking with Deborah Demare from Demare Design about ethical and health-based interiors. And right now, we're going to be talking with Bridie Reed of Vegan World Travel about traveling the world as a vegan. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran. So happy to have you spending this hour with me and with my wonderful guests. We're going to be talking about all these interesting aspects of being vegan that we don't think about enough. Vegan World Travel was founded by life and travel partners Sebastian and Bridie, two nomads who have worked and lived in Southeast Asia for 12 years. With backgrounds in tour leading and film and TV production, they spend at least three months each year traveling the world to find new and exciting destinations for vegans to discover. And they have conducted vegan tours in places as far-flung as Thailand, Vietnam, Rwanda, and France. They've got trips to Botswana and all sorts of other amazing places in the pipeline. And golly, I don't know about you, but I'd sure like to go on some. Welcome, Bridie Reed. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me here today. 
Well, thank you so much for doing all you do for really opening up the world for vegans. You know, I think sometimes people say, oh, golly, I, I don't know if I should travel, certainly not to go to any place exotic because I want to stay vegan or I want to stay whole food plant-based. Is that possible? So I will ask you, is it possible? It absolutely is. It's uh, it's not only possible, but it can actually be delicious and you can have more deep and rich experiences traveling as a vegan than before you went vegan, I think. <laughs> I love it. Well, just tell me a little bit about you and, and your wonderful partner, Sebastian. How did you guys become World Vegan Travel? Sure. So um, it goes back a couple of years. Uh, the whole reason why my partner Seb and I are vegan in the first place is because um, we were inspired by the work of Colleen Patrick Goudreau, her podcast. And bizarrely, coincidentally, considering we live many thousands of miles apart, we actually became really good friends with Colleen and her husband, David, and we ended up traveling together and and doing a lot of really nice trips together. And um, it was my partner's, Seb's idea, and he suggested to Colleen, you know, why don't we see if some of your, um, some of your followers, some of your fans um, would be interested in coming on a trip to Thailand. So uh, Colleen agreed and um, the trip sold out and we took, I think it was 22 or 23 people to Thailand. So that was a great success. And then we did the same in Vietnam and that was also really successful. And we just decided, hmm, maybe we might be onto something. So that's when we started uh, doing more and more trips and, uh, um, and actually doing this full time now. Oh, that's wonderful. It's so exciting to know how this is really a global movement, which of course with the environment, etc., being as it is, it needs to be global. So what kind of activism is involved in running these trips? I know that for you and Seb, this really is an activist mission. Yeah, that's that is a big part of it. So there's a couple of um couple of things that we that we do. So first of all, uh, I one of the things that is quite important, I think, is that uh, bringing people together, bringing travellers together, and sometimes our travellers are actually involved in the animal protection movement. And, uh, you know, when you get a group of 20, 25 fantastic vegans together um, on holiday, experiencing something new, experiencing something exciting. I think that can be a really sort of um, nourishing experience. So, and you know, it can often leave people sort of really refreshed and ready to um, ready to go back home and, and continue, continue their own activism. But also, uh, Part of my part, a big part of my job in this work is to um, try to help the hotels and restaurants um, provide incredible vegan food. So our trips are um, a little bit more sort of luxurious, a little a little bit um, more fancy than you know sort of a backpacker adventure kind of thing. And as such, you know we have very very high standards for accommodation, for food, um, and all of those transportation, all of those kinds of things. So um, off we usually 
well in fact we've never stayed in a fully vegan hotel before so as an example is we might have to really work with the hotel who might have a bit of a vague idea about what veganism is but they probably don't really understand the ins and outs and certainly they have never been pushed to um to create menus you know breakfast lunches and dinners for 30 people for you know a period of five days which you know sometimes it could be that many meals in some of our trips so they need um they often need some help and support support and guidance to try to um you know accomplish this 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 goal and uh when we reach out to hotels at the beginning we always say to them you know we're we're we, we have quite high expectations we think you can do it we're going to help you are you keen to give this a try and no hotel has said to us no nah, no nah, we're not interested um they're all really keen and while i think you know a lot of people in the hospitality industry and the hotel industry you know they they might be okay to do something quick last minute for one person there's real power in numbers when you've got 30 people for coming for so long you you know you you have to sort of step up your game so to speak so so they just uh they always um do a really fantastic job the food that they create is amazing and uh, we end up having food that is incredibly varied incredibly delicious and will often really reflect most of the time will really reflect the local cuisine so for example in France we're going to be having vegan a seitan bourguignon or we're going to be having fondue or uh, tart flambe all of these local specialties but of course made vegan and we also um always also try to make sure that you know our eating area is a little bit different from uh, separate from the non-vegan areas just just to so that our travelers don't need to smell anything that that might not be so nice and we also work with the hotels to make sure um there's no feather in the rooms we, we do they, the hotel do the best that they can with that and also of course you know there's no sort of obvious exploitation animal exploitation traces in in the hotel that our clients may see you know for example deer heads on the wall or uh, or excessive amounts of, le of leather or, or things like that so um, yeah those are the kinds of things but we really try to make it a quite a gentle process and a real sort of collaboration where you know they can bring their ideas to the table I can show them where they can buy ingredients to replace the non-vegan ingredients and you know it's it's usually a really in my opinion a really positive experience for everybody and the results are that that uh you know french country hotels now have vegan um vegan menus and uh um they tend to market themselves as vegan friendly hotels and you know they 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 do a great job Oh, that's so beautiful. So that means that uh, vegans who love to travel should go on your trips. And if they can't quite make one of those, they should go where you just went. <laughs> yes, just definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so who are the people? Get, give me a demographic of who comes on these. Sure. Vegans. 
we get a we get a real mixture. I would say that most of our travelers are usually from the US, but we have had people from other places as well. But most people are from the US and uh, they're I would say the average age of a traveler would be maybe hmm, I'm hazarding a hazarding a bit of a guess here, but I would say probably about 50 or so and they really do come from all walks of life some of them are working in business some of them work in animal protection um uh some of them you know this is a trip of a lifetime sometimes you know that there are wedding um, engagement proposals that happen on the trip sometimes they're single people uh sometimes they're couple mother and mother and daughter or whole families it's a real mixture but i have to say that the biggest thing in common between all, all of our travels is that they are just such nice people Aww. and one of the things that one of the wonderful things that happen is just how um how well everyone gets on and how you know so many people develop uh really long friendships and they you know they catch up with each other after the trip they come on one of our trips again they go traveling by themselves to another place and it's really lovely to see these um friendships blossoming ah so how do you accommodate special dietary requests? I know so many people, you mentioned the seitan bourguignon, so many people are gluten-free, <laughs> a lot of people are oil-free, people have allergies. Can you deal with that or do you just say if you have restrictions, I'm sorry, we can't do it? Well, it, it really would depend. Um, we have had uh, people who are gluten-free, you know, people who are celiac, so that that's a real concern. We really ask our travelers to let us know a really um, good amount of time in advance uh, because, of course, that helps us to make sure that there are good alternatives and that, that there will be gluten-free pasta available instead of the, the non-vegan one, for example. And in regards to no oil, um, Hmm, that could be a bit of a challenge because uh, because often, you know, for example, in France, it's very hard to do French cuisine without oil. But I mean, I I guess no one has ever asked, but but maybe we could be up to the challenge. Maybe <laughs> zero oil might be hard, but um, we could certainly make it lower oil, I'm sure. <laughs> Oh, I love your attitude. You seem to take everything as, as a challenge and something that can be done some way or another. We're going to figure out how to do this. So, if we get enough time, yes. Okay. So, Bridie, tell me a little yeah. bit about, about your background and what qualifies you in particular for this particular business. Sure, sure. Well, um, in my late 20s, a while ago now, I was actually a tour leader for a travel company. Some of your listeners might have heard of Intrepid Travel. So they're obviously they're, they're not a vegan company, although they are actually running vegan trips now, which is kind of cool. Um, I was a tour leader for them. I did. I worked for them for I think it was about five years and I was in Southeast Asia for 18 months. And um, then, in, then Intrepid decided that they wanted to open up Europe because uh, bird flu, that's right, now I'm remembering, bird flu had just happened. Um, and as a result of that, you know, there were a lot of people cancelling. So Intrepid decided that they wanted to um, mitigate their risk 
by opening trips all over the world. So they opened up Europe and because I spoke some French, I, I um, put my hand up to go to France. So I did a year working in France. And then the following year, Intrepid moved into Africa. And because of my French skills, I was put in, I was sent to Morocco. I had never set foot in Morocco before. Um, I'd never set foot in, in Africa before. And I, I worked there for 10 months. And that is actually where I met my partner, Seb, um, who was also a tour leader there. And uh, yeah, so I worked for five years in the travel industry. And obviously, Seb and I, we're both very well traveled. Seb also has spent more than 13 years, I think now, working in, in TV production and location services. So as you can imagine, film crews and TV crews coming in, there's a lot of logistics there. There's a lot of, um, it's, it's all sort of like um, running like a wedding day, you know, it has to run super smoothly and, and you know, there's a lot riding on, on it going to plan. So Seb um, has these incredible logistics skills and obviously um, I'm a passionate, well, Seb is also a passionate vegan, but I'm a passionate vegan and I have quite a few um, cooking skills and I know how to cook ve cook vegan, obviously. And uh, when I became vegan, I just took to every to the food like with gusto. So I'm able to help the hotels make incredible vegan menus. This is so fascinating to me, both because I know our listeners are interested in world vegan travel and, and what you do, but I also know that people are listening who want their own vegan business. And I'm always fascinated at what comes first and the background mm -hmm. that you had elsewhere that you're now able to bring into vegan business. So I think, for example, the fact that you spoke French enabled you to expand in the tour industry and now you have your own company. I think sometimes people think, oh, I just want to learn everything about being vegan, which is great. But you know, <laughs> if you feel like learning French, do that too. <laughs> you know, yes, there's so yeah. much out there in the non-vegan world that can later translate for, for great benefit to um, spreading the vegan message. So, so tell us, Bridie, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm asking a chef to tell me what desserts he has planned for the week, but what trips do you have coming up? Oh, right. Okay. We have a few coming up um, that we're really excited about. We actually just came back from Paris and Alsace with JL Fields. I know JL is a, is a, a friend of yours. Um, and that was in Paris and Alsace. And that was so much fun, so much fun that actually she is coming back to France to do a repeat of that trip next September. And then straight after that, a trip to Provence. Provence is actually a region in the south of France. So, um, those two trips are happening about this time next year. And we also have a trip to the Dordogne um, with Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. We continue to do trips with Colleen Patrick-Goudreau uh, two or three a year. And the Dordogne is actually in the southwest of France. Now, the southwest of France is, I, I won't say that it's really terrible to go to southwest France as a vegan because you you will never starve like there's always going to be food that you can eat but the southwest of France is very much um, characterized the cuisine is characterized by um, all products to do with duck and goose if you get my drift so 
So uh, it can be a little bit of a challenge to really enjoy the cuisine there. So that's probably going to be my biggest challenge yet to veganize the, the southwest of France, but uh, we're going to try our best there. So that's with, um, with Colleen. And then at the end of 2020, 2021, uh, like in the new year, literally you can spend New Year's in Botswana. And Botswana is, um, is obviously uh, a beautiful country in uh, southern part of Africa. And of course, you can just see some incredible wildlife there. We'll also be going to Cape Town and, and some, a town close to, sorry, Cape Town, and we'll be going to a town close to Cape Town called Grayton, where we'll be visiting farmed animal sanctuary as well. Oh. And um, yeah, and all of, all of our trips are all included except for flights and travel insurance. So you honestly, you really don't need a penny. It includes all the food, accommodation, tips, laundry, snacks, everything you could possibly possibly need on a trip <laughs> oh that's so exciting and and I know if I can just share this that we have talked about doing uh, an Africa trip in Rwanda to, to see the gorillas and I would be the I don't know the face the I don't know what you say about the <laughs> I would be the JL or the Colleen on that trip and that is yes. so exciting to me because that is truly, my bucket list at this point in my life is very short. It's Israel and the gorillas. So um, so everybody uh, just keep an eye out for that. We'll be starting to make announcements when uh, that's more firmed up because that yes. is bucket list or bust. <laughs> It, it really is an absolutely unforgettable destination. Rwanda is such a special place <laughs> for so many reasons. Oh, I am sure it is. So, Bridie, I know you're a little bit prejudiced, but I want to ask you, what, in your opinion, makes your trips unique? I know you're not the only <laughs> vegan travel company in the world. Sure. We'll certainly have on more and equal opportunity and all that, but... Absolutely. Just what's special about what you and Seb do? Sure. Well, um, first of all, we are trips that are um, obviously owned by vegan company and run by vegans as well. And we go on every trip um, so that we can make sure, certainly at this time and for the foreseeable future, that, that the trips are run to our standards <laughs> and of course um, our trips are a little bit more expensive than than other trips out there but these are definitely fancy schmancier trips in terms of accommodation in terms of inclusions in terms of unique experience and level of customer service so um, we also of course have local people um, that we work with um, in the country that we that we visit as well Lo guides local guides and local drivers and we all work as one big team and uh, yeah we, we think our trips our trips are more sort of um, not super adventurous. You know, we're not necessarily doing huge amounts of physical exertion. Um, they're sort of more comfortable trips. They're trips for people that really want a complete break, that want to relax, relax leave their brains at home and just, just forget about everything and just enjoy where they are. So I guess 
those are the main differences. <laughs> well, that invitation to uh, relax, forget, and enjoy yes. <laughs> sure sounds good to me. <laughs> so, so just um, kind of picking your brain a little bit as someone who really knows the world of travel, do you have some tips for people who are just traveling on their own, whether for, for business or for pleasure, but they're vegan, maybe a new vegan, and they're completely out of their element, maybe they don't know the language? Some tips, please. Sure, absolutely. So I think I, one tip I would say and um, is to, to not worry <laughs> because Seb and I have been vegan for 10 years and traveling and we've never gone hungry. Like we've never um, uh, ever, you know, not had anything to eat there's always been something there obviously you know it might not always be just a, a culinary <laughs> masterpiece it might not be the most amazing thing but you know I, I think we often tend to worry that we're, we're just not going to have anything to eat so certainly there's going to be something there and the restaurant will be able to cook you something but of course you know we would like to have a little bit more than that so of course happy cow is an incredible um incredible resource and there's some really great websites now there's um veg visits veg visits is like an airbnb except for vegetarians and vegans so you can go to places um um that are houses that are owned by vegans and vegetarians so um you can you know you can find out a little bit of the scene that's there in the city of the place that you're going to. There's also Veggie Hotels, which is a fantastic website that lists many of the, most of the vegan hotels or vegan friendly hotels in a place. And, you know, that can be really, really nice. Contacting hotels ahead of time and letting them know and just sort of nudging them to make sure that they um, have the necessary things that you want for breakfast. Uh, looking on um, social media for, you know, Facebook groups and vegan Facebook groups in the places that you're going to so that you can uh, connect with people if you want to connect with people. There might even be some activism opportunities. And I know a lot of uh, vegans, they often want to get active when they go to go to a place, whether that's to volunteer with sanctuaries or or um, or visit places uh, that that help animals. Uh, sometimes that can be a little bit hard to navigate. But if you ask people in the country that you're visiting, then that can be they can be a really good resource as well. So yeah, um, oh, one other thing. Is um, uh, Google Translate. If you have Google Translate on your phone and you download the language in the country that you are visiting so that you can always use it and perhaps highlights or star some useful phrases or create a point out as well. So that I guess they're funny. my main tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are perfect tips. Thank you so much, Bridie Reed, worldvegantravel.com. Uh, World Vegan Travel on Instagram and Facebook. Check them out. Check out the wonderful trips. You know what? The world is your plum. Stay with us. <laughs> we'll be back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan program. I do want to do a shout out to our wonderful sponsor, the Good Vegans of AlpineOrganics.co. They make a wonderful supplement just for vegans because they're vegans themselves, and it is called Complement Plus. Among the many smart people who have designed this product are Pamela Ferguson, a registered dietitian and a PhD in dietetics, you don't see that very often, and Joel Kahn, MD, who actually will be back on our show in the month of November. So here's the deal. A whole food plant-based diet gives you the best nutrient insurance you can get in the world. And yet, just because of the way things are in modern times, there are certain nutrients that we need to watch out for. And those are all found in Complement Plus. So you've got B12, vitamin K2, zinc, selenium, a whole bunch of them that you can read about if you go to alpineorganics.co. And if you happen to want to purchase some Complement Plus, then just put Main Street Vegan in all capital letters and a plus sign after it in the discount box and you will save yourself some money. So, to your health and also to anyone who's new to the program, do check out the MainStreetVegan.net website where it tells you all the amazing things that we do in addition to this podcast. And that includes a film that I've produced. It includes our wonderful Main Street Vegan Academy training vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. Who knows? Maybe there's a certification in your future and it could happen here in New York City in a magical week, which is what we offer. So moving on in this exciting program that has to do with things we don't usually talk about, we're moving from traveling the world to designing our own private spaces to be healing to be kind, and to be nourishing. Deborah DeMare is the creator of the Wellness Sustainable Design Specialty Certification Course. She is a cruelty-free and wellness design expert, an interior designer, author, speaker, and global influencer in the ethical and healthy design movement. Her educational website is certifiedcruelty-free.net, and her design website is vegandesign.org. Welcome, Deborah DeMare. Thank you so much. And just to clarify something, my design site is Damari Design. Ah. And that's okay. And my um, educational um, platform is certifiedcruelty-free.net. Okay. Yes. <laughs> How are you? I, I am good. So I am interested in getting all designed here. You know, I think we know the little things, like our previous guest was talking about travel, and she says she tries to make sure that the hotels where she takes groups don't use feathers. So I think we know some of these very basic things, but you get into a lot that we don't understand. So just lay it out for us. What is ethical and wellness design? 
Okay, so ethical wellness design is really about creating environments for the user, the person, that are not only ethical, meaning they're non-animal based, but they're also healthy. And ethical and healthy really go hand in hand in the design world. So for example, I started out strictly as a vegan designer. Uh, a couple of years ago, I actually transitioned my company. I was a regular interior designer for over 15 years. I've been designing now for nearly 20 years. And um, a couple of years ago, um, I learned about dog leather, uh, which is now an uh, a term in the industry, which is horrific. Nearly a billion animals are killed yearly for the skins industry and dogs and cats included. And I guess I always say everything happens at the right time. You have to be prepared for change, correct, you know? And I guess I was prepared for change. And when that term came across my desk and I saw a couple of videos, I then said, you know what? That's it, I'm no longer using animal-based um, furniture or decor within my firm. And it was a very big transition and I did it strictly because I love animals, nothing else. I had no idea about the health implications. And what I soon realized was I had entered really a rabbit hole, quite honestly, Victoria, because it wasn't only about the ethics and the horrible slaughter and killing of animals, but then it transitioned to the laborers in these poor countries that have no choice. And then I saw a whole nother, a whole nother slew of health issues because animal-based materials and furniture and decor are laden with chemicals, laden. Leather is one of the most toxic fabrics in the world and leather tanneries are one of the most toxic places in the world. They produce more pollution than cars. So as I started to learn about the health implications I said, you know what, it's not only for ethical reasons, but we're talking about wellness here and health. And that's really how my company transitioned to that. And it's been a tremendous learning curve. But I say, once you've seen the dark side and you learn about all of these things, it's pretty much impossible to go back to designing in a manner that I did prior, where I didn't even think twice about the chemicals. And I didn't think twice about what it was doing to the world, the environment, and really all living beings, animals and people included. So that's how I got to where I was. So for me, designing spaces that are ethical and healthy and promote wellness are spaces that are as clean as possible, meaning they are as non-toxic as possible, and they are as positive as possible, meaning they don't come from a place of tragedy or despair. And the way I can describe it is, if I have a wall and I hang a deer head on that wall, well, that deer head represents so many things to the user, to the person living there. First of all, you're looking at the devastation of a, of a living being. That living being had purpose in this, in this global world. That living being surely had a family. And that living being is the end result of slaughter. And that living being now is apt toxic it has so many chemicals in it because it should be rotting on your wall but it's not i compare that to candy art a big beautiful piece of art that's that's filled with candy they now call it happy art now that art is beautiful it's happy it didn't harm anyone there is no chemicals in that art it's it's a happy positive experience
So, and that art builds euphoria, creates endorphins, lowers your blood pressure, makes you feel good. Good environments make us live longer, make us more productive, make us smarter and healthier and happier to ourselves and everyone around us. So that's really like a very topical way of describing what I do. I love this because I get really excited about the holistic nature of being vegan. It's not just one thing. And as you were talking about the various aspects, of course, the ethical is paramount. And yet there's also health. And I think that's what so many of us find when we become vegan for ethical reasons. And then we start snooping around in the health world because we want to make sure we're getting everything we need. And we find out that if we do this with just a few little positive tweaks, it's the healthiest way to live. So it is completely a win-win. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I think about years ago when I used to design nurseries, for example. Okay, I'm a mother of twins. My twins are now 24 years old. My business really started organically. And so I had no experience at all in design. And I really started as a mom designing. That's really how I describe, which I think is one of the reasons I've been successful is because I have a very practical approach to design. And I also have a very psychological approach to design as the mother of twins. So when I used to design nurseries, I would put leather beanbag chairs and thick wool blankets and and everything was animal based. Wool carpets, silk, leather, down. I would fill a room with down pillows. Well, fabric is almost 30 percent of its weight are chemicals. You know, there's over 82,000 chemicals that are used in manufacturing, and most of those are not even approved chemicals. So I think about now how I would put beanbags in a nursery, and there would be a toddler enveloped in this leather that has lead and chromium and arsenic and formaldehyde and sulfates in it. So like you say, it's not only the ethical reasons that it probably took 10 to 12 cows or calves horrifically slaughtered for that beanbag, but also the health implications. Absolutely, and I know what was being told to people when your children were small, my daughter's a little bit older, but I remember hearing all the time that somebody was saying, you need to get your baby a lambskin. Right. Of course, I was already vegan. There was no way I was doing any lambskin, but there was all the push for for the the wool and and the down Mm -hmm. that this was natural. Oh, well, thank goodness you're there educating people. So educate us. Please, please help us, uh, Deborah DeMare. What are some design tips for choosing ethical, healthy furniture and decor? Okay. So because we have, we're limited on time, I, I will focus, if you'd like, on I'll try to stick to bedrooms because bedrooms are a very important space and we are limited. I can't go through the the gazillions of bit of information that's more in the course, but um, we spend a third of our life in our bedrooms. So it's one of the most important spaces in in a home. And um, we also, while we're sleeping, that's a very restorative part of our our day. That's when our body is rejuvenating itself and, and we're getting healthier and we're cleaning our body from toxins and we're breathing in and out. So that space is very important. Most bedrooms are completely toxic because the paints are very toxic. Um, so if we start with the walls, try to get paints that are have low VOCs, V like Victor, O, C like carpet. 
That means volatile organic compounds. Volatile organic compounds are highly, highly dangerous and very toxic. You know, homes built prior to the 1960s were much healthier than they are today, because today we have to build spaces and buildings and structures quickly, as fast as possible, which means we have to use materials that can be fabricated very quickly, which means there's lots of chemicals and glues and adhesives that are used, as opposed to prior to the 1960s when they could take more time and spend more money building um, construction and structures. So today you're using paints that are very, very toxic. So try to go with low VOC paints. Now, I don't want to sound like an infomercial, but if you go to certifiedcruelty-free.net, we have a shop on there. And that shop is just all Amazon stuff. But we have on that shop, we have paints. We have every, every item in that shop is vegan. And most of the items are non-toxic, not all of them, because we're still in a toxic world, but we're trying to find things for our, for our audience that are as less toxic as possible. So we have paints on there. You have Renaissance. You even have Benjamin Moore now and all the big paint companies bear. They carry low VOC paints. So I would use paint. So paint is a very, very important thing. And Victoria, anytime, just interrupt me because, you know, I'm from New York and I can talk a mile a minute and I interrupt. So anytime, just interrupt me. OK, if I'm going off too much on a tangent. Well, um, I love your tangents. OK. Utterly fascinating and important. Great. It is important, isn't it? So those are paints. So now let's let's go on to the to the, the bed itself. Well, actually, let's talk about lighting a little bit. So. Most of us, I, I think it's over 50 percent of Americans have a sleep issue. I believe it's over 50%. So tremendous amount of people have sleep issues. And one of the reasons we have sleep issues is clearly we don't get enough sleep. I mean, years ago, people used to sleep nine, 10 hours a day where the life in the world was very different. Now we're lucky if we get six to seven hours a night. One of the reasons is because of something called circadian lighting. You might be hearing this expression more and more because now retailers are trying to teach this to the masses in their own way. Circadian lighting, our, our body is on a schedule. At night, our body produces melatonin, which, you know, you can buy those melatonin pills, which you should never get addicted to, as you probably know, because then your body stops producing its own melatonin. And melatonin helps us go to sleep. And we produce our own melatonin naturally as the sun starts to go down. Our body is, our brain is saying, mm, it's getting dark. You know what? It's time to start to get sleepy. Now, what's happened is technology has completely messed up our bodies. So, for example, at night, my husband has the computer by his desk in our bedroom. And I always tell him, turn off the damn computer, you know, because I'm seeing that light, that screen. And that messes with your sleep, with your phone, keeping it right by the bed. Anything with false light and technology that's being emitted is going to mess up your circadian rhythm. So lighting is very, very important in your bedroom. Make sure your lighting is warm, meaning it's red. You do not want blue or white light in your bedroom at night. You want to lower it. You want to turn off all your technology that is telling your body to get ready for sleep. So that's your lighting. Now the bed itself. We know about down. Down is terrible for you. Clearly, it's completely unethical and horrible. It's most geese are live plucked 
which is horrific. Many of them die from the from the pain itself. Um, it takes about 12 geese live plucked to make one basic down pillow, one small down pillow. So mm. you can imagine how many hundreds it takes for a duvet cover, for a blanket. And you can get feather duvet lung, an actual term, which I can't believe it sounds like something from a movie. The down has bacteria in it and holds tremendous moisture. And you can get an infection in your lungs that affects the lining of your lungs. And they call it feather duvet lung. And that's from the down itself. Wow. So needless to say, for an adult, anyone, a baby, you know, a, a child, anyone, down is one of the worst materials. Anything animal-based is horrible for you. That's just the bottom line. So you can replace it with buckwheat, fabulous, fabulous um, pillow. Buckwheat is my new favorite. I was in Japan last year, and it's like a norm there. Everyone uses buckwheat pillows, and, and the hotel offered buckwheat. And I was like, mm, this is interesting. And I slept on it. And as someone who's in her 50s, you know, with the hot flashes and everything, it's cool. It's a cool pillow. It keeps you cool. It conforms to your neck. It's made of buckwheat holes. So it's completely organic. There's no, no it's sustainable. There's no chemicals in it. You can fill it. You can lighten it. It's, imagine little tiny coffee beans. Some people find it weird because you can hear it a little bit, but you get used to it. And I actually find it comforting. So buckwheat, I think, is a if you go on my uh, site, we actually do a review of a buckwheat pillow. I can send it to you after, Victoria. It's, it's, we do it like a three-minute review of buying one, and we un unbox it so people can see it. And um, so buckwheat's terrific. You have kapok, which is rubber. Also a very, very comfortable um, material. And then you do have the bamboo fills. And the bamboo fills are terrific, but you have to be careful of something, which there is bamboo tensile and there's bamboo lyocell. So just to review what the difference is. Ten, when you have a product like bamboo, which is a great product, bamboo tree grows three feet a day, it's completely sustainable, needs very little fertilizer, hardly any water, it's a fabulous product but you can't just take bamboo and turn it into a product. It needs another, another solvent to make it nice and cushy and, and malleable. So a good product would be a bamboo pillow, for example, made with tensile. Tensile is the other material that mixes with bamboo. Tensile is made from the eucalyptus tree, another fantastic sustainable product. And they make it from the pulp of the eucalyptus tree, and that's what tensile is used for. So when you buy sheets or pillow or anything that says bamboo, make sure it says bamboo tensile because it's also not toxic. Now, if it says bamboo um, lyocell or viscose, okay, if it says viscose, you need to stay away from it because viscose is rayon. And that is highly, highly toxic. Viscose is a viscous solution. That's how you, it's like, it's like a thready syrupy material that they mix with everything. They mix it with bamboo. Okay. Viscose is so toxic in its making that there are no viscose factories here in the United States. They're all in China, unfortunately. And the Asians that work in these factories have so many health issues from cancer to neurological issues to mental illness because viscose is such a strong um, toxic product. Why is it so strong? Viscose 
unlike tensile, which I know I, I'm trying not to confuse you, is not made from the eucalyptus tree. The eucalyptus tree is very soft. The pulp is very soft, so they don't need to put chemicals in it to soften it. But viscose is made from harder trees, such as the oil palm tree. Now, if anyone knows anything about oil palm trees, many of them are in the Amazon, and that's where the orangutans live. So when they say don't eat palm, anything made with palm oil because of, of deforestation and the orangutans, when you buy things made with viscose, you're directly enabling the corporations that are destroying the Amazon and killing the orangutans. Because the oil palm tree is a very hard tree. The bark is very hard. So they have to do put in tons of chemicals to make it soft and malleable to turn it into a viscose liquid to then add it to things such as bamboo made um, materials. Did I make sense or confuse you? Uh, no, you made complete sense. This okay. is absolutely brilliant. Let me ask you about rugs. Yes. The only non-vegan items left in my home are two wool rugs that my husband got years ago traveling okay. in, in Turkey. What's an alternative healthy? In fact, well, what's wrong other than everything we know ethically that's wrong about wool? Are there health problems with that too? And what Yeah, well, because wool, wool is also, it's laden with chemicals. Remember, any animal-based material is laden with chemicals. Mm -hmm. It has to be because it was once on a living creature. So you can't just take it off the living creature and not expect it to smell or get bugs. I mean, wool, you know, they, they with the sheep, uh, you probably know, they, they, they do a procedure called mule sling. Mm -hmm. Mule sling is where they literally, without any anesthetic, cut out the skin by their, by their tush and their legs, and they just cut out all that skin without any anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So they form scar tissue. Right. They don't form they don't form hair wool. Why? Because they're producing sheep nowadays so unethically. They're making them weigh so much. Merino wool sheep are they, they're producing so much wool that they can't even walk. They're right. so heavy. And yeah. that the wool is so thick and trapped that they get um fly strike, which is they get uh, bugs trapped inside the wool. Mm -hmm. And that's why they do mule sling to protect that area. Yeah. So when you take the, the, the hair, the wool off of that sheep, it's filled with bugs. So, and you know, half the sheep die anyway because of the downers and what they do to them. It's just, there's no such thing as responsible wool. So anyone who's listening to this, you know, that's just a wonderful term made up by great marketers. There's no such thing as respond. There's no such thing as responsible anything when it comes to an animal, when you're producing something in mass quantity using a living creature, it's impossible. That's just the bottom line. It's impossible. Right. Well, this is why I have not purchased it for 30 yeah. years, but I married it. So are right. there rugs yes. that people can have, or do we need yes. to paint pictures on the floors? No, no, no. You don't need to paint pictures. What you could do is buy tensile. Tensile rugs are terrific. They're, and they look just like silk. In my home, I have many tensile rugs. So they have, they look and feel just like silk. I mean, they have that shiny feel to them, soft as silk, and they're not made from silk. Now, wool, uh, you can also get, you have tensile, you have banana silk, which is made with a banana leaf, which is fantastic. And then you have the hemp's, you have the jutes, you have cottons. You can go with your nylons and polyesters. Polyesters are much more durable than nylons. They have chemicals in them, but not as much as a wool rug has. 
and they don't smell gamey. And if you have children or anyone in your house that's sensory sensitive, like people with autism or ADD, you know, they're typically very um, hypersensitive to smells and textures. Wool rug smells gamey. Yes. It smells, you know, it smells gamey and it's terrible on stains, you know, because it's, it's a, it's a wool. It, it absorbs everything. Right. So oh hemp is great, jute, you have cottons, nylons, polyesters, and tensils and banana silks are terrific. Okay. I am going rug shopping. <laughs> oh, you know what? If you look in, um, I'm going to send you an article. I just got it on my feed today. I was interviewed about vegan rugs. Ah. Yeah, so I'll send you that link when you and I hang up. I can send Wonderful. you the article. Wonderful. We are almost down to the wire here. We're going to have to do this again. Let's just count ahead six months okay. and just do this again. This is so important. You got but it. But you do have a certification course, an online certification course. I now, do. is this only for interior designers? No, or no is not this at anybody all. who lives in rooms? It's about anyone who lives and breathes and wants to sit in a room, <laughs> basically. I have, I have the vegan design course. And we're almost done completing the wellness um, ethical design course, but we're receiving signups for that as well. I need about another month or so. I'm just, I'm just missing a bit of information for that. And that one's going to be, I'm really excited about that course as well. I mean, it's, it's going to be terrific. So uh, give us those web websites again, because I was a little bit sure. on my website. Sure. If you go to certifiedcruelty-free.net mm -hmm. and subscribe. Subscribe to our um, newsletter and that course will be, we're going to have the landing page up very soon for it. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and I also didn't pronounce your name properly. So That's tell us again who you are so everybody can find you. I know in sure. person you're in Florida and New York City, but yeah. online you can help people everywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in California. I'm everywhere because it's funny. Most of my projects are really not even in Florida. They're outside of Florida. Um, so my name is Deborah DeMare, D-I-M-A-R-E. And the name of my design firm is Damari Design. And the name of my educational, my course um, website is certifiedcruelty-free.net. Thank you so much. I I'm flying high. From this <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Be blessed, be happy, be healthy, be vegan. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.